How about how about a little Starbucks gift card for Jazz? Come on, little middle middle school RC representing on the video announcements. So awesome. We just did a training with that whole team recently, and we just saw Jazz. That was her first time, and we said we should we should have just let her conduct the training for the rest of us. So natural up there. So good. So good. We're glad that you're here tonight. We're excited about this series that we're in, in the crowd. Uh, we launched into it uh, last week. If you came for uh, In the Crowd Lessons in Daniel Part 2, you're going to have to come back next week. That's what we were originally going to be doing tonight together, but just all morning, God's just been stirring my heart. So for whoever decided to come to church at the last minute, if you could just help with my sermon preparation, if you can make that decision on Tuesday instead of Saturday, that would make my life a lot less stressful. So uh, this is part of who we are as a church if you're visiting. It's why we're, we're, we're committed to planning and structure and, and, and prayer in advance, but we hold all of that loosely so that God can speak in the moment so that he can have his way with us. We were in, um, in court on Thursday. I got Derek's permission to, to share the story. He got his, uh, his first speeding ticket. And uh, I know, yeah. There you go, Jamal, you can clap for that. <laughs> That's so great. Come on, there we go. A Starbucks gift card right there. Right there, all right. Feeling generous. I might have to dip into my bag. I might have to get into my bag. I probably shouldn't tell you where they are. Pastor Fred's bag is missing. The Starbucks gift cards have been stolen. So, I, you know, he's, he's, uh, he turned 18 this summer, and uh, so his first speeding ticket, right, you're going to get your first one at some point. I, I did tell him, though, you only get to say to the judge, this is my first ticket once in your life, you know, once in your life. And so uh, it was not, it was, it was a big one, right? So it was one that, that we reached out to some friends who knew a lawyer, and we got advice on what to say and what to do. And whenever you stand before a judge for a speeding ticket, and the first thing that the judge says to the state trooper is, do we want to waive jail time? You're like, it sends a chill through your body, right? It sends a chill. We'll come visit you, son. We'll come visit you. In fact, Jesus says we're supposed to. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. So, so we get to court. We're down in Chesapeake. And, uh, and, the, and it's, there's a lot of people there, right? There's a lot of people. A lot of people have been driving fast recently, apparently. And so it, there were so many people, I kid you not, there were so many people there that, that towards the beginning when they were giving all the instructions, there was a second judge that came in through the side door. He had a, a, just a scowl on his face. He did not look happy. And, and there were so many people in the courtroom, they had decided to take, there were two state troopers that, that were there, that one of the state, they were originally supposed to do all of both of these state troopers' cases in just these couple hours, but there were so many people, they had to pull in another judge for whatever he was doing and send half of the people into another courtroom, you know? And so th this other judge, you could tell he was not happy. So in that moment, when you, see, you realize what's happening, you're, you're thinking of every prayer of authority you've ever learned to stay in the courtroom with the judge that's smiling, right? You do not want to go with the judge who's angry. You don't want to do it. You're like, in Jesus' name, by the blood of Jesus. I haven't eaten in 20 minutes. Does that count as fasting? I'm fasting for favor. 
that we get to stay in this courtroom with the nice man who's smiling, who's happy to be here. And so one of the, the, if you've never been to traffic court before, you get to hear all of the other cases that are in, in front of you, that are before you. And so there was one gentleman who came up, he had an attorney, and they read the offense. And, and, and his offense was 92 and a 60. So now you can appreciate why he had a lawyer, right? 92 and a 60, that's serious business. And, and, so, and so as they're, they're, the tr- state trooper tells the circumstance, where he was, what had happened, right? Then the lawyer speaks on his behalf and tells right, a story. You know, he had just gotten a phone call from a family member who was sick and was at the hospital. And you're like, yeah, you're going to have to do a lot better than that, right? I'm not sure that's going to go. And, and so he's telling the story about why he was having to speed. But you're like, there's... You, you, right, there's, unless your car is on fire, 92 and a 60, right? You're, there's just no excuse. So at some point, the lawyer turns to the state trooper and says, could I see the calibration for your, you know, your equipment, the radar gun? And so the state trooper, right, he's prepared. He has this big, thick manual. He's going through all of his cases. He pulls out the calibration. And he didn't just have one. He had like three. And so the lawyer's looking through them, and he's reading. He's looking through them, and he says, do you have anything before June? And the state trooper says, I have those, but they're back at the, at the office, right? And, uh, and the judge says, well, this ticket is before June. And he has a right to see the calibration for before you wrote the ticket. But the judge, it's 92 to 60. So he says, what we're going to do here is that, that we're going to, 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 to take a, a recess on this case. We're going to have you sit down. And he says, trooper so-and-so, I want you to find so-and-so. There's another trooper in the building. I want you to send back him back to the, to the office to get the calibration so that we can see it. So they go and sit down, right? And then we go. There's several more cases. I guess it was about 30 minutes went by. He says to the trooper, do you have the calibration report yet? He said, I don't have it yet. He should be back here any minute. So the judge says, fine. They kept going with several more cases. Another 30, an hour has gone by. He calls the attorney back up. He calls the gentleman who was doing 92 and a 60 back up. And the other state trooper, he's still there because he's the one that's doing all the cases. And he says, I didn't realize this was going to take an hour, right? So do you have the calibration or not? He said, I don't have it, Your Honor. He looked at this man. He said, you're free to go. I know, right? I know. I, I wanted to start the wave right then. Right? Let's just do it right here, right? The whole courtroom. But we didn't say we're, we're silent, but on the inside, we're like, come on. Because we're all there because we're children of lawlessness as well. And in that moment, you don't care if he ran over someone's dog. You're like, I want him to get off because I want to get off when I get up there. You want there to be a day of life. If you had heard that story on the news, you would have gone, oh, he should. I hope they put him in jail. I hope they revoke his license. You're with me? If it's on the 6 o'clock news and you're eating dinner and you're watching Wavy 10 and that story comes up, you want the judge to throw the book at him. But when you're in the courtroom and you're next, you want that guy to go free. You want him walking out of there. He didn't have to pay a dime. Whatever he had to pay his lawyer, but that was the best money that man had ever spent, right? I'm telling you that story because God's been speaking to my heart all week that for some of you, that's your Christianity. You love God. You're a devoted follower of Christ. 
and you even know most of the rules, but you're living your life as fast as you can with the hope that, that God's not gonna give you a ticket. And when your consequences catch up with your foolishness and your actions, then you're hoping that he's just gonna let it all slide. And what I would say to you tonight is you gotta stop living that way. You gotta stop living that way. Because every no and every boundary that God puts in place, he does it because he has our best interest at heart. And he's not trying to rob you of goodness, he's trying to direct you towards it. And if you live your life on the edge for the rest of your life, you've bought into the lie that you're reaching for a good time, but really what you're doing is you're running away from the greatest goodness that you could ever have. There was something else that happened that day. We got to hear a few other cases that weren't traffic related and they would bring people in from a side door and their hands are shackled to their feet and they're wearing that orange jumpsuit and they can barely walk and it's sobering. It's sobering to see someone that has lost their liberty. When Tara was singing that song tonight, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, I just kept seeing those guys in those jumpsuits. And for some of you, that's what you're like on the inside. And there was this one young man, and he stood there the whole entire time. I kid you not, he never lifted his head not one time. Not one time. His mother was standing right back there and and you would think maybe he would at least try to catch a glimpse. He wouldn't even turn around. He wouldn't look at, he just held his head down. The shame that he was carrying, it was tangible, tangible. And for some of you, that's how you're living on the inside. You might be smiling in here. You might be walking through life with the appearance that everything's great. But on the inside, you are so shackled with shame from your past, you cannot receive from God the goodness that he wants to give to you, and he wants to give you some of that goodness tonight. If you weren't here last week, I'm not doing a big recap because I don't have time for it, but it's called in the crowd because we don't want you to be a person that stays hidden in the crowd Every great miracle in the Bible, somebody had to be conspicuous. And there's going to be moments tonight, there were moments last week, and there's going to be moments every week in this series where you're going to have to be willing to be seen to receive from God what he wants to give to you. Can he do it sometimes? In privacy, he can. But there are moments where he calls you to reach out. Like the woman with the issue of blood last week, and there's going to be moments for you to reach out tonight and grasp again for the hem of the garment of Christ. Oh, I should tell you, things turned out good for us. Reduced it, just had to pay a fine. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, yeah, yeah. Derek said, we found this, uh, Chuck Jordan showed up. Come on, Chuck, just helping us, just showing, we didn't know he was gonna be there, loving on us good. So we said, Chuck, let's go out to lunch. We found this little Chinese restaurant right around the corner. Uh, it was a Peking restaurant out there. If you're out in the Chesapeake area, 6.25 lunch specials. You can't get, right? You can't eat at Chick-fil-A for $6.25, right? I'm just saying. 6.25. It was, and then they gave you these massive plates of food. Massive plates of food. And we left out of there. Derek was like, wow, that was a cheap lunch. I said, yeah. Until you add in the court costs and the fines. <laughs> yeah, we could have gone to Schlesinger's today. He's like, all right, fair enough, Dad. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Paid his own way, though. It's part of 18. Paid his own way. You go, son. Just go there slower, but you go. First Thessalonians. Oh, come on. This is, this is good stuff right here. I'm telling you right now. First Thessalonians. I'm doing the read the, the, through the Bible in a year, the historical plan, and I've been in First and Second Thessalonians seeing some stuff I've never seen before. So rich. First Thessalonians 1, verse 1, it says, This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and we are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. Second Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he writes two letters to this church. This is, there's part one and there's part two. And listen to what he says, the same thing in verse two. He says, may God our Father and, our, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, if we're not careful, we'll read through some of these portions of Scripture and, and, and we'll treat them as if they're just perfunctory, as if they're just this, it's just, this is Paul just kind of warming up until he really gets to what he wants to say. Maybe it's just a greeting for him, a, a colloquialism, a, a way in his day and time that he would say hello. But it's much more than that. He's teaching us something deep about the Christian experience. He's, he's setting forth the filter. He's, he's giving us the, the lens through which we're supposed to read everything else in both of these great books in the Bible. In chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians in 8 and 10, he says, And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Acacia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. It's important that we understand that this grace that, 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 that Paul is speaking of is next to love is probably the most important word that relates to us the Christian experience. Grace is different than mercy. Mercy is someone not giving you what you do deserve. Let's go back to the courtroom. The guy that was doing 92 in a 60 deserved something. The judge did not give that to him. He was merciful to him in that moment. Grace is beyond mercy. Mercy is withholding what you do deserve. Grace is actually giving you something that you don't deserve. For us, mercy was when the judge took the speeding down from reckless to just a normal ticket. Grace would have been if he had said, and not only that, I'm going to pay the fines for you. 
Right? Mercy is withholding the punishment we should have gotten. Grace is giving something that you do not deserve that you have not earned. Salvation is grace because of everything that God gives to us. Is it mercy? It is. Because he withholds the judgment, just like we read. But it's beyond mercy. It's grace. When you step into a relationship with God through a vow of devotion to Christ, he gives you the family. You become a part of the family of God. He gives you a temporal purpose, a reason for living in this life. He promises you an eternal purpose that begins for us when we find our way to heaven. He begins to give you gifts. He begins to give you hope. He be, right, the list we could just keep going over, it's called grace because of all the things that God begins to heap upon us when we're one of the family. But that grace doesn't come to you and to me unless we bring something to the table. And you know what you have to bring? You gotta bring faith. You gotta bring something to the table for the grace that God wants to give to you to take root in your life. Where do you get that? I get that of Ephesians 2.8. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Ephesians 2.8. I wanna read it to you tonight. Ephesians 2.8. For God saved you by his grace when you believed. Now this is the New Living Translation. Many other translations actually get it a, they get it a, little, a little bit more exact. It says, for it is by grace you are saved through faith. Right? Through faith. You've got to bring something to the table to appropriate the grace that God wants to give to you. You can't take credit for this, right? This is, it's a gift. This is what we're talking about. This is what grace is. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so no one can boast about it. But you've got to bring faith to the table to appropriate the grace that he wants to give to you so that all those things that he wants to give to you can begin to take root in your heart because he wants to change and transform your life. He doesn't just want to give you a get a jail, get out of jail free card so you don't go to hell. Salvation is not just about mercy, it's about grace because of all that he wants to give and do in your life. But something has to happen in your heart. It's called faith so that those things can take root. You know where else you find it? Hebrews 11, verse 6. Listen to this. The great chapter on faith. Listen to verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. And listen to what he says next, the writer of Hebrews. And that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Why does the Holy Spirit inspire the writer of Hebrews in the great chapter on faith to connect it to this idea of rewards and gifts because the writer of Hebrews understands, like the rest of Scripture understands, that with my faith, when I appropriate grace, it creates a pathway into my life for God to begin to deposit things into me that I need to receive. But faith is the condition of the heart that allows those things to take root. Watch this. Look at first. Thessalonians 3, 6. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and your love. It's interesting that Paul starts out by talking about grace and peace. 
But if you read all the first Thessalonians, you find that the content of all five of these chapters are divided into two categories. It's divided into explanation about what it means to receive the good news, to be born again for salvation to come, and then the rest of the chapters talking about Christian living, the way that I should live because of the grace that I have now received. So he talks about grace and peace, and the words that connect my life to grace and peace are faith and love. He's saying if you don't have faith, you're never going to fully appropriate everything that grace is supposed to give to you. You only have to have a little bit of faith to appropriate the grace that gives us our salvation, but God doesn't want us to stop there. He's got big dreams for your life. For some of you, the reason why you have a hard time appropriating all of the goodness of God that is supposed to come to you through the grace that he has for you, it's because the devil keeps reminding you of crap from your past that shackles you with shame, and it's time to throw those shackles off. You can't change who you were. You can't change what you've done, but God's grace and what he wants to pour out upon you has not related to what you've done. It's related to who Christ is and the hope that he has for you in your future. Look at this. Second Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful. Don't want Second Thessalonians 3.3? 3. I don't want Second Thessalonians 3.3. 3. This is what happens when you write a sermon at 10 o'clock on Saturday. All right, I'm going to find the reference later. But there's a, in 2 Thessalonians, there's another verse that mirrors 1 Thessalonians 3 that talks about faith and love. It happens in both. He starts by talking about grace and peace, but in both chapters, he comes to a place where he shifts his language away from grace and peace, and he shifts it to faith and love. And the reason he makes the shift is because he wants us to understand there's something that you and I have to bring to the table. So this is the first way that we're going to respond tonight, and then we're going to keep going a little bit. Have such a sense that there are people here tonight. And your struggle is shame. And you know who you are. You feel it now. When I first started talking about it, you could feel it in your heart. Now, this is part of the series about being in the crowd. We know that we're asking you to be conspicuous. And what I'm saying to you, there is something about being willing to be seen. It's your way of reaching out. It's the James 4 principle. When we draw near to God, he draws near to us. There's some times where he draws near, but then there's other times where he asks us to take the first step. So we're not going to linger in this moment. Nobody's going to play on the keyboard to make it sound more spiritual, right? We're just in this moment. We're just going to do it. The woman with the issue of blood 2,000 years ago in that crowd, she knew that she had to touch Christ. And I'm just saying I know that there's some people here tonight, you know deep in your heart you need to touch him. Shame is robbing you of the goodness of God that he wants to bring into your life. And I believe that as we pray, there's going to be a deposit of faith supernaturally that gets put in your heart that's going to enable you to walk out of here, to break free from those shackles of shame, that's going to enable you to begin to appropriate 
all the things that God wants to give to you. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. You know who you are. If you're wrestling with shame, not going to ask you to come tell your story. Not going to ask you to tell why shame is what you struggle with. I'm just saying, if you're here tonight and shame is something you struggle with, you stand. Father, I pray for every person that's standing tonight who's wrestling with shame, who feels shackled by shame. Father, they feel like the young man that came in the courtroom on the inside every day of their life. And we pray that in Jesus' name that there would be liberty and freedom. We pray, Father, that right now, by the power of your spirit, that there would be a separation of them emotionally from all the mistakes of their past. We pray that you would create a chasm. We pray that there would be a separation. We pray that there would be a a, a pulling away of the continent of their past and the continent of their tomorrow. And they would stand firm upon who they're going to be and where they're going. And we pray, Father, that faith would stir in their heart like a hand that's ready to receive, God, from you every good and perfect gift that you would bestow upon them in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said. Amen. Come on, let's clap for courage. Grace and peace. Now this idea of faith appropriating grace, that's not new for me. And it's probably not new for you if you've been around church for any amount of time. But the second part, this is the part that I've been digging around in this week that I had never seen before. Because in both in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, he talks about grace and peace, but then he shifts to faith and love. Why is that? Because just as faith enables me to appropriate the grace of God in my life. Listen, love enables me to appropriate his peace. For some of you, right, the worship wrap-up, the song that we were singing, I'm like, well, now I really know that I've got to preach on this, right? I brought the other sermon up here just in case God changed his mind. (laughs) For some of you, you struggle with a lack of peace in your life, and, and you've been stuck in this place because you've bought into the lie that you don't have enough faith. I'm telling you, faith has nothing to do with it. It doesn't. For those of you that are struggling with peace, it's love that needs to stir in your heart to appropriate the peace that God wants to give to you. First Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. There's a reason why chapter 4 is called Live to Please God, because chapter 3, the verse that we read that drops the two words of faith and love, is the turning point in the text. Paul talks about grace and peace, and then he talks about salvation, and then he drops the word faith to help us understand that's how we appropriate God's grace. But remember, he says, may God give you grace and peace. And then he drops this word faith and love, and then after that, he shifts to this idea of living a life to please God. Why? Because when you love God, you want to do what he says. And the more you live your life in such a way that does what God says, can I just tell you what you're going to have? You're going to have peace. There is a calm that you will have in this life that comes from walking in obedience in a way 
that will not give you peace in any other way. Can we just say the reason why Jesus was in perfect peace at every moment, in every situation, even when he was being brutalized and bearing the weight of the sin of the world, there was a peace that was upon him because he was always in perfect obedience with the Father. 4-1, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14. Oh, I love this chapter. John 14. 23. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and we will make our home in each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I've told you, right? This is Jesus, right? These are his last moment with the disciples. This is before the betrayal. This is before the crucifixion. This is before the resurrection. He knows his his time is coming to an end. He's going to get these last few teachings into their hearts because there's the future of what will become Christianity, Listen to this, this there's not a, there's, it's not a coincidence that he's talking about love and obedience and then in, right here, here it comes, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. Why is that? Because Jesus is saying, if you do not have love, you will not obey. And if you do not obey, you will not have the peace that I want you to have. He's trying to help them to understand, you have seen me in times where I should have been distraught, but I was not. Because I was always walking in perfect obedience with the Father. Verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. Just because it's a gift doesn't mean that you're free to not do anything to appropriate it. It's just like grace. you got to bring faith to the table. Peace you got to bring love because love leads to obedience. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. And if you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am, for I have told you these things before they happen so that they, when they happen, when they do happen, that you will Believe. Some of you here tonight, the, the, the peace that you're longing for, that, that constant sense that, you're, that you're, you're waking up with every day of, of, of just of, of feeling vulnerable, it has to do with the need for a love of God to grow in your heart 
that will cause you to begin to long for the righteousness that he wants you to live by. We're never going to get it all the way right, but we should be doing a little bit better next month than we are today. We're never going to rise, which is one of our six commands, which is part of our discipleship model, Matthew 5, 48, be therefore perfect. But he didn't tell us to be perfect because he knew we would one day get there. He told us that so we would keep moving towards it. And for some of you, right, it goes back to the story that I told in court, is that that your life as a Christian, you're just, you're running and racing as fast as you can, and you're living your life trying to figure out how far you can go before you violate something. How fast can I go before I get a ticket? How far can I go in fooling around with my boyfriend or my girlfriend before I've gone too far? How much can I spend beyond my budget, which I know that I made in the life group and total money makeover at Stephen Kim Walls' house just last week? It's my last one. There you go. Come on. I better have a whole stack of those next week. People will be like, amen, over here, Pastor. Oh, Jesus, that's good. It helps, it helps, doesn't it? It helps. Oh. How much can I spend beyond the budget that I know that I'm supposed to be living by before I'm guilty of materialism or avarice or greed? How many more of these, and you fill in your blank, can I eat before I've violated this idea of stewardship of my physical body? How much longer can I postpone exercise? Right, you, The list just keeps going, does it not? How many more beers can I have before I've crossed over into the biblical prohibition of drunkenness? For some of you here, you, you live your life trying to go as far as you can before crossing the line. And what I'm saying to you is, Stop living that way because all you're doing is you're running away from the goodness that God has for you. And not only that, you are establishing a pattern in your life that's robbing you of peace. There is a love that God longs to see birth into the heart of every one of his children, not just so that we can have affection with him, It's so that we can have the gift of peace that he longs to give. And so Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica, you gotta have faith if you want his grace and you gotta have love if you want his peace. And I'm telling you, when you get that kind of love that leads to that kind of peace, that there is nothing that you can walk through in this world that can displace it. It's why when Paul and Silas were in prison for no good reason and in the shackles in the heart of the prison, they're singing worship songs. Who does that? People who have a peace that's so beyond anything this world could ever understand. The Holy Spirit broke out in that prison. There was an earthquake, right? Their shackles fell off. 
even the most hardened criminals that were in there that would have otherwise run at any opportunity, like you and I in a courtroom, if there's an opportunity to get away without having to pay a price, come on, that's who we are, they all stayed. The jailer's getting ready to fall on his sword because he knew that the penalty of his failure would be his own death, and they're like, don't do it, we're all here! I'm surprised he didn't die of a heart attack right there. Who does that? People who love God with an indescribable love, who have a peace that's heaven sent. And for some of you here tonight, you haven't felt peace in a long time. You haven't felt peace in a long time. And the reason why you've lost your peace is because you've lost your first love. And in losing your first love, you're just, you're living your life on the edge. And Christianity for you has become just religion. And when it's just religion, it's just about rules. And when it's just about rules, and I've run out of stage, so I'm going to stop here. (laughs) It becomes how much more you can get away with. And God says it's supposed to be about relationship. And when it's about relationship, it's about love. And when it's about love, it's filled with peace. And you and I are going to need that peace at times in our life because there will be troubles that we will have to walk through. And that peace, listen to me, is not just for you and for me. It's for the people around us that need to know that God loves them. And it is the peace in me that oftentimes is my witness to the world. It's one of the reasons why Jesus said they'll know you're Christians by your love. He wasn't just talking about the love. He was talking about what comes from it. And so often what comes from the love is a peace, and that's what the world can understand. They want what you've got. So I'm going to invite you, if you're here tonight, I'm going to pray. And if you would say, I know, I know it is not easy to stand on some of the things that are a little bit of an admission of doing things you're not supposed to do. And what I'm saying to you is, don't hide in the crowd. Do not hide in the crowd. You stand for the moments that you need to stand. And I don't care if you stand for everyone in this entire series. You stand. You stand. Father, I pray for every person that's standing right now who needs your peace. I pray for every person that's standing right now, Father, who knows in their heart of hearts that they're just on the edge. They're just racing. They're, they're, they're looking for the reason for how much they can do. Father, I pray that you would in this moment begin to deposit in them a love for you that they've never felt before. I pray in Jesus' name right now that they would be like a funnel that's connected to their heart and that you are there in heaven with the biggest bucket they've ever seen so full of love and you're just pouring it out and it's filling them up it's psalm 23 a cup that's overflowing god and i pray father that when they lay their head on their pillow tonight that they would feel a peace that they have never felt for some of them they've never felt it in their entire life I pray that their sleep tonight would be the most restful, the most rejuvenating, the the most life-giving rest that they've ever felt. And then when they wake up tomorrow morning, which doesn't have to be later because they came to church on Saturday, praise the Lord, 
that there is gonna be a smile and a countenance that is upon their face that somebody tomorrow is gonna say what's different about you. And they're gonna begin to tell their story, their Azariah story, like we shared last week. Because tonight they found a Daniel heart and a Mishael heart and a Hananiah heart for the Azariah story of peace that you wanna release in them because of the peace that you wanna release into this world. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, Amen. Come on, applaud for some courage in those people that are standing. Come on, everybody can stand. Everybody can stand. I'm telling you, every week, every week you come ready to respond in some way. We might be responding in different ways throughout this series. I'm just every week, come with a heart that says, God, I want everything that you have for me. For some of you, it might be the first time that you've ever made yourself conspicuous in a setting like this. For some of you, you know people who need something of God. You might not even know what it is. You got to trust that the Holy Spirit knows what it is, right? You got to trust that the Holy Spirit knows. And on the week that they come is going to be the week that they need for them to reach out and touch the hem of the garment of Christ. Let's worship together.